Hi, everyone, and welcome to Nella's Tin Trunk Podcast. Today, let's talk travel in Africa. In Swahili, or Kiswahili, the verb to travel is kusafiri, hence safari, a journey. I think having this encompassing chat about what it actually means to be on safari in Africa is a good way to lay some foundations for podcast safaris or journeys to come. Sifting through the greatness, as I said last time, means having some basic idea of what options are out there and which ones speak to you the most. When we say I'm going on safari, images are conjured of open-sided jeeps driving across wide open plains, vehicles with camera-toting passengers parked beside a lion, safari guides turned around in the front talking to their guests, We think of tented camps and stylish lodges, of campfires under the stars, of fresh air, a big commodity in our world these days, of delicious food, and of course, gin and tonics. What about people sitting on the roof of a land cruiser on a seat custom crafted by the owner, or a guide inching his big four-wheel drive down the side of a steep dirt bank about to cross a river full of crocodiles, or for that matter, your horse doing the same thing? driving through crystal clear water so deep it floods over the car's hood, or bonnet, as we say here. Cameras and feet up off the floor, everyone. Or people scouting for animals from high up on camels, shaking hands with people in a tribal village. Yes, they still do want to do that. Both sides shy at first, later everyone dancing together. Or, God forbid, people crammed into a minibus with their heads popping out of the top, ill-trained safari guides screaming through the bush to the next animal sighting with as much knowledge of African wildlife as the one guidebook they ever read, reciting boring facts like robots as they tear up the landscape right past a gazelle giving birth, lodges with 45 tents lined up one next to the other with heavy sigh, which you can hear when your neighbor does it, an enormous cesspit and garbage dump hidden away in the back. It used to take months to go on safari. Now it can happen over a long weekend. It used to be about hunting the big five, an extremely anachronistic term for those animals with the most prized trophies, buffalo, lion, leopard, elephant, and rhino. Now it's about photography, and giraffe, zebra, hyena, gazelles, wild dog, and hippos are just as wonderful to view as the rest. You used to stay put for weeks in one camp, Or that camp moved with you from place to place. Now you hop on a plane and boom, you're in a totally different ecosystem looking at totally different animals and landscapes, often in less than an hour. That's not bad, really, as long as you slow down enough to spend four, even five nights in each place, and certainly no fewer than three. A safari in Africa should be 10 to 14 days to be able to truly appreciate each experience. It's not a box-ticking kind of thing. I've had shorter safaris than that, but not often. And I've had longer safaris than that, too, happily quite often. I think my general business and life motto of slower and closer applies more and more to tin trunk safaris. And just as I watch the slow food movement rise in Italy when I lived there, I see a slow safari movement happening now for us. In no small part, thanks to the pandemic. People want to see Africa more than ever. It's the kind of trip that is worth the hassle of long-distance travel that will deliver one of those indelible life experiences. And they want to do it with a slower pace and a more in-depth journey from every angle.
I believe that when you board that bush plane, usually a Cessna, a Pilatus, or a King Air, depending on where you are, you should land in a different ecosystem. The feel, the focus of animals, the views should all change, not just the lodge or camp. Lodges are different from camps. They have solid walls, while camps are under canvas. Some combine both, but we don't call them lamps or cottages. In my world, all of them are small, wonderful, and vetted personally by me. I have, alas, a very tough job. Some are owned by corporations, large and small, fewer and fewer by families, and only a handful have an owner in sight. My first interview, in fact, is with one of these owners, and you'll be hearing that episode next. In each place you go, you meet a team of people who become friends. Managers, guides, waiters, butlers taking care of your room or tent. I just can't emphasize enough how much meeting these people and others in Africa enhances your trip. But you might not want to meet people from your same country or town, or maybe you do. My travel style document that I send prospective clients says, quote, it will be fun to meet some new people while on safari, and you have to rate that from one to five. Most people think it's fun if we're talking about locals. Not all think so if we're talking about fellow travelers. So knowing that is important to a choice as some places have captain's tables with all the guests dining together. And well, if you don't really want to sit next to a stranger telling you about her wonderful day, it's best to know that ahead of time. There are some incredible private houses in the bush. When I moved here, the Villa on the Hilla was a big deal in Italy. It is here too now. Privacy can be complete with your own guide, cook, team of people taking care of you. If, rather, you like the idea of new people and sharing stories, then you're in for a treat. As I've watched many times people sitting around a camp in the middle of nowhere, discovering commonalities in their lives, friends, work back home. It's the keep it small, do it well, traveler common denominator. And what do you do in these camps and lodges, you might ask? The answer is actually quite surprising. Traditionally, you sit in an open 4x4 for hours in the morning and then for hours in the afternoon. I think some places merit that. And if you've ever sat just feet away from a big pride of lion who see the car as a big one single object that doesn't threaten them, rather than a group of overly excited humans, you will be grateful for that vehicle. But I use a hashtag, not just game driving, because I know that if you've walked through that red oak grass and come upon some lions with your guide on foot to watch them immediately run away, which is what they do 99.9% of the time, or you have canoed past a pod of hippos, then, well, who needs bungee jumping? (laughs) Which, by the way, is one of the things to do at Victoria Falls if you're a true adrenaline junkie. One of my favorite car experiences is driving back from sundowners somewhere gorgeous and coming across a parade of elephants, stopping, turning off the engine, and sitting amidst them in the dark, listening more than seeing as they sip water. Nine liters of water per sip, by the way. Or crack through the bushes to munch on leaves. It's just magic. It's the kind of experience you will never forget. And if you're doing that with your whole family or your special someone, well, we are talking about important life bonding forever. So how do you sift through all the greatness? Know when to come, how long to stay for, which country to visit? Well, I tell you, of course, 
Seriously, though, the realm of African safaris is so big that it is a perfect time of year and a perfect place for you somewhere all the time. When I launched Tin Trunk in 2005, I used to list every month when someone asked me the best time to come. Here's why. January, February, and March are wonderful in Kenya, Tanzania, and Rwanda, but cloudy and rainy in Botswana, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. It's the time when the wildebeest migration reaches the southern Serengeti, which is still northern Tanzania. And they calve their folds on the special short grass plains, which help them watch out for predators. The North American summer of June, July, and August is the winter in southern Africa, so it's properly cold in Botswana, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Namibia, and Zambia. But it's incredibly clear and sunny, too. The summer is the dry season in Botswana, but it's when the famous Okavanga Delta is the wettest. It's in full flood then. In South Africa, the bushes have lost their leaves, so animal viewing is easier through their dense foliage. In Tanzania, the wildebeest are moving through the northern Serengeti and Kenya's Maasai Mara. This is the second largest mammal migration on our planet, after bats. Poor bats. I used to joke saying, do they really count? But the Kazanga National Park in Zambia, where they migrate, is under threat of mining, so I'm not joking about them anymore. April, May, and November are traditionally the months of rain in East Africa, but good grief is that hard to predict. Still, many wonderful camps and lodges close then for a break, so I recommend avoiding those months. You can happily go to Botswana in April and May and November. April and May may be cloudy. November will be hot and humid. October is called Suicide Month in Botswana because of the humidity, yet it's ideal in Kenya. In Zim, the animals gather at the watering holes in September, but depending where, I don't like it because the elephants are too many, squished into an ever smaller area to roam due to people. Hearing their stress cries over water at night ruins my safari, if not the wholeness of my very heart. So, you can see why I list it every month, right? After you've decided what time of year to come, either because you know you just have to see the wildebeest migration or the Okavango in flood, or because your kids have time off school and sports during those weeks, next comes how long to stay. Two weeks is ideal. No matter where, no matter when, if you can give Africa two weeks on the ground here, not including travel time, you are getting an A+. If you give two weeks including travel time, well, it's more of a B, and less time is barely passing, I'm afraid. What about more than two weeks? Absolutely. My longest safari was seven weeks. Some people moved here over COVID lockdowns in their own countries and stayed in gorgeous private homes, villas, lodges for weeks and months. But on average, two to three weeks is always ideal. What should you bring? I emphasize less is more, but no need to forfeit all style. I simply don't look good in khaki, but light grays and pastels are good. I have some cool safari boots from a lady in England and not a few bush clothing items grabbed from the lodge shop. The key is to be ready for the weather. Have enough warmth and sun protection as needed. If you're driving around in the car, slip off your shoes and grab a cold drink from the cooler. If you're out walking, canoeing, riding a camel, wear your hat and get that camera ready to grab. And the camera matters. These days, there are so many great ones. You can usually zoom and edit on any decent one. I'm a Canon girl and have been since the dark room in high school. However, what really matters are your binoculars. A good pair in each set of hands is key to seeing the nuances. Those lion fleas are disgusting. Look at the colors on that bird. 
Binoculars make the difference. Authenticity trumps luxury as far as I'm concerned. And for me, the definition of luxury is detail-orientated, a team on their front feet, willing to go the extra mile so their guests have the best possible experience, and total flexibility to improve plans as needed. Clean, safe, comfortable, and yummy, that's all covered. So if you have already been here once, twice, or more, you know how each time is magical in its own way and how each time leads to where's next. And if you have yet to come, but wilderness, open spaces, diverse cultures are in your wheelhouse, then, well, Africa will exceed your expectations. Thanks for listening to Nella's Ten Trunk Podcast. Until next time, become the sculptor of your own life and carve out the space.